And with that, we'll get into the word today. Hopefully, I, hopefully you got all your bookmarks in place. I'm going to try not to apologize for flipping everywhere today, back and forth. Um, with that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for uh, the accounts that have been given to us about Jesus and um, his arrest, his various trials, um, what he went through on our behalf. Lord, as we look at this story today before Pilate, Lord, I ask that you would help us to, to get lost in this story. May it come to life to us. May we uh, feel the tension of the trial. May we uh, see what Jesus is facing in, in a way that it comes to life. Father, I pray that it just wouldn't be some story that we look at, but that we would understand why this all happened, that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf, that he was the perfect lamb to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. He came to change our lives. And so, Father, we come today desiring to get a picture of who you are and what Christ went through on our behalf, that our lives would be impacted that we would be transformed by your spirit. And so, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask that you would guide us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. And now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They said, Crucify him. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and our children. 
Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, may your spirit guide us this day. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so in verse 11, the, the very first phrase we see, now, now Jesus stood before the governor as sort of a way of reminder of how, how we got here. Um, there's, there's been three trials. Uh, I don't know that I, if I can really count them as three different trials, but, but sort of historically uh, amongst the commentators, they view them as trials. So Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Judas had made his deal to um, betray him. He arrives on scene. They take Jesus into custody. They quickly whisk him off to the high priest, Annas, who was the actual Jewish high priest. Um, he goes before him. He's asked a couple of questions about his teaching. Um, that's considered trial number one. But really what it was is it was a delaying tactic um, Annas, the high priest, was the Jewish high priest. His son-in-law was the high priest appointed by Rome. And so while Jesus is before Annas, they're sort of um, quickly getting all of the people together. They're, um, they're getting sort of the tribunal together. And so then he's transferred from Annas to Caiaphas, and the trial begins, if you can call it a trial. Um, of all of their laws, they clung to some, some laws that were minute laws and violated many of, of the laws that were in place. Like a trial couldn't happen at night. Um, a, a trial, it needed two witnesses to sort of testify. They were just fishing for anybody to testify against Jesus. Um, they were supposed to begin with his defense to start up with, but they were going straight for, the, for capital punishment. Um, if capital punishment was determined was the outcome, they were supposed to give a 24-hour pe- period for a cooling-off period to allow feelings of mercy to sort of surf- to surface. And there was a whole bunch of other laws. Um, the trial had to be during daylight hours. It's the middle of the night. Um, they, they, they can't find anything against Jesus. The, the closest thing they can find is that there were two guys that said Jesus said he would destroy the temple and in three days it would, he would raise it again. Now, this was hardly a capital punishment offense. The high priest Caiaphas knew this. He was a slippery and smooth guy. And so he violates a law and as the judge, he starts asking some questions to Jesus trying to condemn Jesus, which was illegal. And he basically says, are you the son of God? Are you the Messiah? He, he, he asked these two questions that when Jesus responds, Jesus said, yeah, absolutely. I am the Messiah. I am God. And I might stand under trial by you today, but a day is coming when you're going to stand before me in the heavenly courts and I'm going to condemn you. And at that point, he tore his robe He said, what more do we need? We need no more testimony. This is blasphemy. He's guilty. And then last week, we looked at the the two accounts of the failures between Peter and Judas. And wedged between there, in chapter 27, the first two verses, we see the third trial. Now, the third trial, we read, Now, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. 
and they bound him and they led him away and they delivered him to Pilate. And so now in verse 11, now Jesus stood before the governor. Matthew sort of gets to the point. He, there is so much color in this story. Uh, my aim today for the sake of time is, is, is not to insert a whole lot of my commentary, but to sort of fly through the story through the varying accounts so that we can look at this story in living color, that it can come to life because there's so much, even between uh, verse 2 of his being taken to Pilate and his standing before Pilate, so much happens. Today we're going to look at the three trials. Really, it's one trial in my mind where there's an interlude where where Jesus is sort of sent away to Herod. Um, in our text today, between 11 and 26, between verses 14 and 15, the trial with Herod happens, but, but Matthew makes no mention of it. Um, trying to figure out how much more do I want to say. Um, so Pilate... Um, there's some speculation over his origin. There, there's sort of, there's two main thoughts. I have three. Some say, oh, he was a Roman. I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, support that he was a Roman, born in Rome. There's a, there's a small case for that he was a, a, a Scott guy, Scottish guy, um, born in Scotland in the Highlands area. <clears throat> then there's a third that I hold to just because my wife grew up in Spain. That's really the only reason I hold to it. <laughs> is uh, is the, the, the thought goes, and, and there's, a, there's many that hold it, but it's just, I can't, I'm not going to speak absolutely to you over something I'm not absolute about, uh, but that he was a Spaniard, born in Sevilla, was a, was a warrior, saw Rome sort of just cleaning house and dominating the world, and he joined their army, and he fought well, and then he married up. He he uh, he married Augustus's granddaughter or daughter, I forget which it was, and and so because he married up, he was sort of given this this cush position in Jerusalem, where he was responsible to governor the the region of of Judea, which is the southern part of of Israel. Now Herod is a is another guy who is he governed up in the Galilee region, the northern part. Um, so we'll be introduced to these two guys. Uh, Pilate and Herod hated one another, uh, and, but we'll get into that. So here we are, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor. Now if you'll turn with me over to John chapter 18 to see how this sort of story, kind of how John sets up this story. Uh, it's, I don't want to say beautiful is the wrong word. It's colorful. It's fascinating to me. Um, the move from Caiaphas's house to Pilate's house, the hypocrisy um, to see religion in its most ugly light between these religious leaders. Uh, one commentator uh, spoke often about the, the Jewish leaders' ability to swallow a camel, and yet they, would, they choked on a gnat over the finer points of their religion. Like they could get over some major ones, like, like executing an innocent man, no problem with that. But when it came to Judas returning the money, oh, this is blood money, we can't touch this. Who paid the blood money? 
you did. And now you don't want, there's no returns on blood money, apparently. And so now John tells the the story here, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. And it was early, daybreak, I'm, I'm assuming, a little after daybreak. And they themselves did not enter the praetorium so they would not be defiled. The irony but might eat the Passover. So the crowd has Jesus bound. They take him over to Pilate. They're standing outside of Pilate's house, his compound, and they're screaming, Pilate, come out here. Pilate, come out here. We got this criminal. We need business to be taken care of. But they were so holy and so righteous and so pious that they couldn't step foot into Pilate's because he's a Gentile, a descent into a Gentile's compound for the sake that they might defile themselves before God as they're executing the Messiah. I hope you guys see, like, this is hilarious. And it's terribly sad because it's so easy for us to do the same thing religiously. So it should come as a huge warning to us. And so they're screaming for him. Then Pilate, verse 29, he went out to them. And said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now, I want to point out, it's going to, it's going to bubble out a few times. Now, remember during the trial, the trial with the Jews, they were desperately trying to find anything. Their, their end game was to get Jesus executed. They were searching for anything that came with capital charges. Nothing. Then the two guys that say they, well, he'd said that he would destroy, destroy the temple and he'd raise it up. And then finally the high priest sort of presses Jesus to get him to say that he was the Messiah, that he was deity, that he was the son of God. That was the thing that got the capital charges under Jewish law. That to claim to be God and not to be God, although Jesus was God, but in their minds he wasn't. So they want Jesus executed because he claimed to be God. Now, to the Gentile governor, Pilate, would he care about this? Absolutely not. Like, he wouldn't give, I mean, I can't, I can't if I, he would not care at all for somebody to claim to be God. I mean, they, the, the Greeks had all kinds of gods. Who cares? What's, no big deal. And so now, it's almost like their whole thing falls apart on them again. And he says, okay, you guys got me out here. What's the big deal? Why are you bringing charges against this guy? And they answered in verse 30, and they said to him, if this, if this man were not an evil doer, we would not have delivered him to you. Come on, Pilate, just trust us. We wouldn't have woken you up in the morning. We wouldn't have gone through all this hassle. This guy's a really bad guy. Let's just get along with it and execute him. So Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. Guys, this is your own issue. Uh, there's 2.5 million people in Jerusalem for the holiday. Uh, the peace of Rome was a big deal. You could have freedom to do pretty much what you wanted to do so long as you didn't disrupt the peace that Rome provided. He doesn't want to get involved in this religious squabble of theirs. He says, guys, just deal with this on your own. And the Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. They could... They, they could deal harshly with an individual. They were allowed to, 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 to whip an individual. 
but they could not kill anybody. Capital punishment was taken from them. And so they said, we're here because this man deserves death, and only you, Pilate, have that authority to execute him. Now, John inserts in verse 32, he says that this whole thing, the way it's coming about, is fulfilling prophecy. He says, to fulfill the word which he spoke, signifying what kind of death he was about to die. Now, according to Jewish law, if they were to kill Jesus to execute him, they would use stones and they would stone him to death. But Jesus prophesied that he would die on a cross, that he would be crucified. Uh, earlier in Isaiah, you see up on a, tr- on a tree, this, this form of capital punishment that was only, it was really a new invention under the Romans. And they were ev- I mean, I, they, they were brutal, brutal people. They knew how to execute people. And the cross was reserved for the most vile of criminals. A Roman citizen couldn't be executed this way. A woman couldn't be executed this way. No, no, gov- no senator or um, people in p- position of any sort of respect could not be executed in this manner. And John says this is, this is all according uh, to the master plan of God. Then in verse 33, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, it's interesting, and so far in John, he doesn't, where does, where does Pilate get this sort of, are you the king of the Jews? He doesn't tell the story about the accusations that were coming against Jesus. If you turn back to Luke chapter 23, Matthew, Mark, Luke, bookmark, hopefully you did that, I warned you. Uh-oh, my bookmark just came out. So in Luke chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, we see sort of some of the accusations that they were Uh, presenting to Pilate. Verse 1, Luke 23, verse 1. The whole body of them got up and they brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Wait a minute. If we refresh our memories, what, what happened the night before during the trial under the Jews? That's not what he was found guilty for. He was found guilty for claiming to be God. There was blasphemy. So, so now they're lying before the authorities because the authorities won't care that Jesus said that he was a God. So now they try to come up with charges against the, the Gentiles because the Gentiles, well, they're not religious. We need, a, we need to lie about the case so that we can condemn Jesus in a way that Rome would agree with. And so they basically say that Jesus is an insurrectionist. They say that he was leading the nation of Israel astray by telling them not to submit to Rome, telling them not to pay their taxes. As this whole story unfolds, we'll eventually see these Jewish people hailing Caesar as their only king, as their Lord. But in the last statement where they said this, he's claiming in the midst of this insurrection, he's claiming to be our king. He's trying to usurp Caesar in his power. And so it's from here, turning back to Matthew. In the midway through verse 11, I'll get you guys sort of, now Jesus stood before the governor. We see how he was brought before the governor. We see... 
uh, midway through, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. So of all of the accusations, the, the thing that Pilate sort of heard was the accusation concerning his being the king of the Jews. And he says, are you the king of the Jews? It's the only question Jesus would, would really answer. He would stay silent before the accusations that are coming against him by the Jews. But when Pilate says, are you the king? He says, it is indeed what you say. It is exactly as you say. Um, but dealing with the charges of, of, of the insurrection, Matthew doesn't really deal with sort of what's happening behind the scenes in this whole dialogue. If we go back to John chapter 18, and Jesus is going to explain to him that he is the king of the Jews, that, but his kingdom isn't of the earthly realm, that he's, he's the king of heavenly places. And so in John 18, picking up in verse 33 again, sort of backing up where we ended, in verse 33 of John, or 18:33, therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate, did you reach this conclusion about me on your own? Or are you going off of what other people said? And Pilate said, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? And you see that this wrestling match, Pilate is in a very difficult situation. He does not want to be in this situation. He wants to be distanced from this whole riot that is sort of unraveling before his eyes. So he said, are you king? And Jesus said, who told you that? Did you figure this out on your own? Pilate's like, I'm not a Jew. I could care less. Your people, your leaders are making severe charges against you. Help me. Help me help you out. Help me get you out of this situation. We don't need a riot today during the holiday of all times. This is terrible. Verse 36, and Jesus answered and said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Trying to keep my place in two spots and I just lost it. Uh, So you are a king, verse 37. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king, for I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate says the very same question that people wrestle with today, what is truth? What is true to me may not be true to you, and what's true to you might not be true to you. It's relativism which is totally foolish because truth is truth. Truth is an absolute thing. I can't have something that's true to me and it to be false to you. It, they, there's, a, there's a confliction there. I could be all day long saying, well, gravity doesn't exist. That's my truth. And you'd say, well, I don't care what your truth is. The reality is you jump off the roof, you're going to fall because gravity does exist. 
God says to him, what is truth? Verse 38, and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to him, I find no guilt in him. It's an interesting exchange between these two, between Jesus and Pilate. Pilate's doing everything to, to sort of help Jesus. You can turn back to Matthew. Uh, as he presses in on Jesus, he finds no guilt of anything. He's examining Jesus in private. He goes out to the crowds and he says, I don't find any, any guilt in Matthew uh, 27 verse 12. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he did not answer. And then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer them with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. So as the governor is listening to Jesus, he's becoming amazed at the things that Jesus is saying. He's going out to the crowd saying, I don't find any guilt to him. Help me, people. Like, what's going on here? Now, between 14 and 15 in the Gospel of Matthew, where we are, it just sort of reads like it's one trial, like there's no break. But there's a break here. So between verse 14 and 15, Jesus is sent over to Herod. Matthew makes no reference to this this case before Herod. So if you'll turn with me over to Luke chapter 23 again. I know there's one person who's like thinking, I should have put bookmarks in here right now. So back to Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 3. So Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept insisting, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. And when Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at the time. So he's sitting here trying to, oh, I got a situation on my hands. This is a whole riot. I haven't had my coffee yet this morning, and this is on my hands. And as they're talking, as they're, as they're making these accusations, it surfaces that, that, that Jesus has been causing trouble from the very northern part of Israel all the way down to here, and that Jesus, in fact, is a Galilean. Now, Pilate and, Jew, and Herod hated one another. They wanted nothing to do with each other. And Pilate's like, oh, <laughs> I got my answer. Hot potato out of my lap. I'll toss it over to Herod. Herod's got to deal with this mess. And if a riot happens now, I don't care. It's Herod's problem. And if Herod has to get executed by Caesar, it's a win-win. I'm clean of this. And so now, where are we at here? Um, we're Luke uh, 8. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus. For he wanted to see him for a long time, remember, because Herod heard all, Herod never met Jesus. But the things that Jesus, the things that Jesus were doing were all up in that region. The healings, the crowds, the miracles, the, the whole incident with John the Baptist and all of these things Herod had heard about. And he wanted, he wanted to get a meeting with Jesus, but he'd never had a meeting. 
And so now was his opportunity, and so he's pleased to get Jesus before him. He wanted to hear him for a long time because he'd been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign before him. So he's like, oh, great, Jesus is coming. He's under trial. Hey, Jesus, maybe we could do a miracle or two, just, you know, between me and you. Like, I, my comedians are off for the day. My musicians are off. This is perfect timing. Maybe you could, uh, we could kill somebody and you can raise them. Or so. I don't know what he's looking for, but he'd heard about all the miracles, and it would be fascinating to see it firsthand. And so he questioned him. He questions Jesus at some length. And Jesus stood there in total silence, not a word to Herod. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous kingly robe and sent him back to Pilate. So they are beating Jesus. He's sitting there quietly. They mock him by putting on a king's robe, a a royal robe. So now, don't imagine like the Swedish Jesus that they put in the, you know, the hair that's flowing. I mean, this is a guy, probably a black swollen eye, blood that's caked on from the night prior beatings, fresh blood that's coming out. They were thrashing him. They had been thrashing him up to this point. And so Herod basically doesn't get anything out of Jesus. He just sends him back to Pilate. I don't want anything to do with this guy. So verse 13, we're going to continue before we transition back to Matthew. Oh, wait, no, no, I skipped a part. Um, He dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Verse 12, now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day. So this whole encounter with Jesus, they go from hating each other to becoming like bosom buddies. Uh, They enjoy one another for for before they've been enemies with each other, but now they're friends. And Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people. And he said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Therefore I will punish him, and I will release him. Pilate has no internal fortitude. He, has, he lacks the capability to do the right thing when it's hard to do. He's trying to find a way to weasel out and not just to be a bold leader and to say, this man is innocent, I need to protect him. So this man is innocent, I'm going to beat him a little bit more. Hopefully I'll stir up some, some emotions of mercy amongst the Jewish people and they'll decide to let him go so he can sort of get out of this riot. So turning back to Matthew chapter 27 in verse 15, we read, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So all Matthew tells us about Barabbas is that that he's a, a notorious criminal. 
Um, On this day that they're before Pilate, there were three criminals set to be executed. The the two guys that were on Jesus' right and left, and then the third guy, this guy Barabbas. Matthew only tells us that he was a notorious criminal. But if you'll turn with me over to Mark, and in Mark chapter 15, we learn more about Barabbas. So in Mark chapter 15, verse 6, we read, Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began, to a- began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priest handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. So now we're introduced to Barabbas. Barabbas literally means son of a father. Historically, we know that his first name was Jesus. And the early manuscripts actually say that this is Jesus Barabbas. But, but it's believed that the scribes early on stopped writing Jesus Barabbas because they thought it was too much of an insult to have Jesus the Nazarene so closely connected to Jesus uh, Barabbas. You have son of a father, and you have son of the father. Um, It really is a beautiful, I I think this was done intentionally by God. And so we're introduced to this Barabbas. Barabbas was a terrorist of the worst sort of ilk. He actually led an insurrection against Rome. He murdered people. To think of the most hardened, nastiest, vilest criminal that nobody would want released. This is who this man was. And I think Pilate at this point, he's thinking that I have another out. This is the worst of the worst. There's no way that the people are going to say release Barabbas because he has his custom. During the Passover, they let one guy get away. And so he takes the nastiest of the nastiest, and he says, okay, guys, I I I have a solution to our problem. It's my custom to release one prisoner to you on the Passover. And so now we have Jesus the Nazarene. He's been beaten up. He's bloodied. um, And we have Barabbas, this, this notorious criminal, this murderer, this guy that is wicked. There's no way they're going to send Barabbas, he's thinking. Certainly, they're going to say, set Jesus free. So back to Matthew. My inclination is to apologize to you guys, but I'm not going to apologize to you guys because I warned you. So now we're back in Matthew 27, verse 17. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus called Christ? For he knew because of envy they handed him over. So as he interrogated Jesus, as he began to sort of figure out what was going on, he knew that at the heart of this crime that had been committed, it was solely because the religious leaders were envious of Jesus and his authority, his power, his leadership over the people, and they were envious of him uh, stealing their power away. And so he's trying to just 
end this. Uh, this, this is a perfect solution uh, to get him out of this pickle. They're not going to want Barabbas released. Now in verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, that's Pilate, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. So before the crowd, there's, the crowd is just going crazy. Jesus is there beaten, bloodied with the robe that Herod gave to him. Barabbas is there, this ruthless, evil man. Pilate is in the pickle of his life trying to figure out what to do. Suddenly this message comes from his wife, who had a lot of power in her own right, being that she was sort of his ticket up. She says to him, have nothing to do with this man. Speaking of Jesus, he's righteous. Last night I was tormented in my dreams to think that while Jesus is being arrested and beaten, God is stirring on this woman married to Pilate, warning her of what was about to happen. And she tries to warn her husband, protect this man, protect him. Don't release, don't release that other guy. So another warning light is given to Pilate. And on application, there's a whole lot of funny directions I could go. There's husbands. There could be a whole lot of stuff for us to say about our, the, the, the Holy Spirit that has been revealed to us in our wives. Um, you guys didn't laugh. It's okay to laugh, guys. It's like, this is too tense of a story. But it's like his wife comes and said, like, the wife knew she had insight from God. Like, he, 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 he saw in his own examination that Jesus is innocent. Now his wife is trying to help him. And he's still going to default to the crowd not to listen to his wife, who God has spoken to. I was serious. Like, our wives give us great insight. Amen? Amen. I'll say it for you guys. (laughs) So then it continues, verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want released for you? And they said, Barabbas, he can't believe what they're requesting. In verse 22, Pilate said to them, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And this is the question that we all have to answer. What will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? It is the most important question you could answer in your whole life. It's not a question for the crowds around you to answer. It's not a question for your parents to answer. It's not a question for your people at your work or the news or the media. This is a question that each one of us have to answer. Who is Jesus? And what are you going to do with him? And they're they're screaming to Pilate. Pilate knows the answer, but he's going to default to the crowd. They all said, crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? He's done nothing. But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. Now, as Barabbas was slated for the cross that day, one commentator, Michael Green, says this. A beautiful commentary on Jesus, the Nazarene, and Jesus, Barabbas. Here stood two sons of the father, Two men called Jesus, which means God to the rescue. One pillaged and killed. The other loved and suffered. People were called to choose between these two ideals and still are. 
On that Good Friday, the one ended up on the cross intended for the other. And the other, the guilty man walked away free. An amazing picture of what the cross of Christ really means. Jesus took Barabbas' place. He took ours too. For those of you that have seen the movie, um, and I'm blanking on the movie, uh, The Passion, this is one of the most fascinating scenes. Barabbas is sitting there like looking at the crowds. He's like an animal in the movie. And when he comes to terms with like, I woke up today ready to get executed. And they're, the crowds are going to release me. Like, they're going to release me? <laughs> I'm a heinous cr-. Like, he knew how heinous he was. And they, when they unchain him, he runs off like, I'm out of here just laughing. It's a beautiful scene, a picture. Uh, my buddy, Matt Smith, years ago when we were like finishing up seminary, he was teaching this Bible study that kept growing and growing and growing. And he was sort of under a church. And he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do because my Bible study is sort of like overtaking the church. And I don't want to sort of cause any problems with the church. I'm like, brother, you're supposed to plant a church. And he's like, no, I don't even know how to do that. I'm like, neither do I. Just write a list of the people that are with you. Pray about it. Go away for the weekend. Come back. And he came back. He's like, I'm planting a church. And he's like, the name of the church is Barabbas Road Church. And I'm like, what? Yeah, what? That's a kind of what? Explain this to me. And he's like, our, our motto is I am Barabbas. And it's so true that each of us, we are Barabbas. We were intended for the cross and Jesus stood in our place. And the sooner you come to terms with the reality that you understand that you are Barabbas, you'll be moved by God's grace because we don't deserve what we have in him, period. And so when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but, but rather a riot was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. He's trying to wash his hands saying, I, I, I take no responsibility in this. He was a total coward. He was trying to shift the blame to the people. Historically, we all see Pilate as a coward, as a man who was in a place that could do the right thing. And yet he cowered to the crowd and allowed an evil to happen to Jesus. Now, we all know that God intended this for good and it was a part of God's plan. But I've learned in my life that the right thing is often the hardest thing to do. And I believe that God has called each of us as his followers to have strength, to have internal fortitude, to stand in the face of evil and in the face of injustice and to do the right thing no matter what the cost. And Pilate didn't have that. And I'm not saying that his, his wrestling match like, I think he was really wrestling and really, truly struggling. And if you'll turn with me over to John chapter 19, and this is the last time I'll have you turn. And all the people said, amen. <laughs> we, John gives us insight to what, what Pilate's wrestling with. So John chapter 19, verse 1 says that Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. We'll see this in verse 26 in Matthew. But I want to talk about this, this scourging. This would be like a whip with multiple leather uh, like strands going out. At the end, they would tie in rocks, bones, uh, metal shards, things that could catch. The idea is for those of you who have been fishing, you cast your line out, and instead of catching a fish, it gets snagged, right? 
Are there no other fishermen that have caught stuff that wasn't fish? Am I? And so you, you're then forced with this. Am I going to swim out 80 yards and go get the whatever? No is never the answer. It's always no. And so then you're kind of doing the tugging. You want to pull hard enough to get your stuff back, but not hard enough to snap the line. And so there's like the victory of you finally get it. But this is exactly what they're doing to Jesus' back. They're slapping his back. It's getting stuck in his flesh. And they're having to pull harder away from Jesus. And as they pulled, it would, it would tear the flesh off of the bones. Often it would put the body into such shock and trauma that it would kill the individual. And I believe that, Ju- that Pilate is doing this to Jesus. And we'll see uh, as this unfolds that he'll place him before the crowd, hoping that, that as he's destroyed Jesus' body, hopefully the crowd will have some mercy upon Jesus and say, we've done the wrong thing. So don't just read this, and Jesus took him and scourged This is, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. This is violent evil. This would make you sick to your stomach to witness. For you and for me, he did this. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and a purple, the color of royalty robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know I find no no guilt. Look what I've done to him. Look at this. He's innocent. Change your minds, people. Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because He made himself out to be the son of God. Finally, the truth comes out. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Help me help you, Jesus. I have the authority to get you out of here or to have you crucified. And at this point, Jesus answers. And before we listen to his answer, think about our submission to the authority that's been over, placed over us. We as Christians in America are so spoiled and it's so easy for us to complain about the authority. I don't care whether it's the, the liberals or the conservatives. Either side, people complain. So we're good complainers in the, in the comfortness of our life. We're called to submit to the authority. We have one authority, and that's from God, and we submit to the authority that's sovereignly been placed over us. Here is Jesus, God, the innocent man being put to death, and Pilate just said to him, I have the authority to kill you or to let you go. And look what Jesus says to him. Jesus submitting, doing the very thing that we as Christians are called to do. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it has been given to you from above. Jesus recognizes and submits to the authority of Pilate as a human. That's a powerful, he was an evil man. Just let that sink in for a little bit. 
unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater, greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. Pilate's doing everything he can do to get Jesus out of this. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Let that one sink in. These are the Jewish people. If you're saying that your king is Caesar, Caesar's coins, remember Jesus says, Render under Caesar what's Caesar's. Caesar says, I am God. And so now these guys are saying, our God is Caesar. This man is an insurrectionist. In our loyalty to Caesar, have this man executed. So then he handed him over to them to be crucified. As I end today, the, the one, the, the overarching thought that I hope we can take home if we can walk away here, each understanding that you are Barabbas and I am Barabbas. We don't deserve this salvation that Christ provided for us in the cross. We are guilty, condemned sinners that are worthy of God's wrath. And if you think you're not bad, your pride is pretty bad. <laughs> I am Barabbas. I am Barabbas. Father, we come before you humbled at the story. It's hard for us as Americans in Western civilization to understand the brutality that Jesus faced. It's hard for us to understand this perfect lamb to be put to such a shameful death. The beating he took leading up to the cross would have killed most of us. It's hard for us to fathom that our sin is that bad. And so, Lord, we come before you today and we ask that you would help us to have clarity of Jesus. For those of us that are still wrestling with the question, what shall I do with this Jesus? Father, that you would help those that haven't come to faith in him to place their faith in him, to trust him for salvation. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ for salvation, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the magnitude of what he has gone through for us, that we would understand the magnitude of our sin. Lord, help us to understand grace we thank you, Lord, that you have paid it all for us. May we honor you with our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.